name is Jerry Greenlee. Uh, Ian, I just want to play your running as an independent. If you hope to get nominated to the Senate by Harper, would you have more chance that you would run as a PC? Yeah. I mean, Graham, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I think your assumption is right. You know, I think that if, if, if you do want to, um, if, you, if you wanted to maximize your choices, or your chances, rather, that it would make the most sense to run as uh, a member of, uh, of, uh, his, uh, uh, of, his, of his party. But, you know, if, if, I, if I'm serious about the talk about nonpartisanship, which I am, uh, then that's a, that's a cost I think I have to bear. You know, like, in other words, running as an independent. Um, because I do think that, um, well, I, I guess it, it, for me it, 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 it does boil down to that, that if, I, that if I think there's too much partisanship and if I think that his brand of conservatism is an important part of that, then it's something I want to be, I want to distance myself from. And, I mean, there are people who are doing it in the Senate. I, I mentioned Elaine McCoy here, and... Um, if you're ever interested in, in finding out what senators actually do and the good work that they do do, um, Elaine has a has a really good website that 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 tries to keep people in Alberta to the extent we pay attention um, up to date with what's going with what's going on there. Graham, I think that delicious. Uh, you know, that I, I make no bones about the fact that. Um, I think what Prime Minister Harper has been doing on several fronts is not good for the, the political process. I think it's not good for healthy democratic debate and discussion. So, you know, I have issues with the Prime Minister on, 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 that, on, on that front, on that front to, to, to be sure. And it's one reason why, I, again, I come back to wanting to run as an independent. And it also, you know, there's this sort of like, there's this little devilish voice in my head that says, wouldn't it be wonderful to actually put the prime minister in a position where he would have to consider you uh, to, to appoint you to the Senate? So there's that little sort of like little wee devil in my, in my head that sort of says that, says that as well about it. And it does underline, though, a point in the legislation, and that is this isn't a direct election. You know, so... so the three who make the list are not, by definition, automatically going to be appointed to the Senate. It is all the legislation says is that he must consider uh, the results of elections that any that any province that any province holds. Um, so you know, it will be. It's ultimately his prerogative and his discretion what what he what he ultimately does. Thanks, Blaine. I know, I know, it's been forever. Trust democracy. 
from the elected host, so they kept these flowers for themselves. And our leaders didn't say anything. They were fearful of uh, Republican ideas from the U.S., therefore they put in the Canadian Senate. But I don't think that's what we want now. In my opinion, the provincial premiers are a sufficient check and balance. So if you comment on check and balance. Um, I have no doubt even that your Canadian first and Alberta second. Mm -hmm. And we need your kind of voices in Ottawa to argue for the sake of Canada. Because another point I want you to comment on is this firewall uh, situation where they're setting up things to isolate Calgary from the rest of the country as if we were being attacked by it or something. Something yeah. illogical thinking. Yeah. So, well, since you certainly have my vote, I can assure you of that. Oh, thank you. I want you to uh, send it to disappear. Right. Right. Well, th thanks, Blaine. And, and this is this is another example uh, to digress for one second about how really uh, wonderfully wild this adventure has been so far. Because uh, for those who weren't here at the beginning, uh, you know, I, I did. I, I worked as a researcher across the hall from Blaine Thacker's office when he first came. Because you first came in 1979, right? You're part of the yeah, you're part of part of that 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 uh, that generation. And so I heard someone say to, um, I heard someone say to oh, Blaine, and I looked up, and um, uh, he, he said, you made the, uh, he, the comment about the hair. I mean, it might not, but the smile is exactly the same as the smile you had in 79. And that's exactly, you know, I said, that's Blaine Thacker from 1979. So, but the point is, the point here is that there's just been a lot of former students and people from the past who I've run into, and it's been fabulous. It's just been really, it's just been really great. Questions? Abolishing the Senate. Um, I, I, my, my position is this, that I, if our House of Commons worked, uh, maybe senator or potential senator shouldn't say this, but um, I believe that if our House of Commons was more functional than it is now, and by that I mean if we had something like the British do with respect to three-line whip, for example. So three-line whip essentially means when can I disagree with my party leadership and when can't I disagree with my party leadership? You know, so when, when is the expectation that I will, that I will toe the party line as opposed to, you know, my constituents really feel strongly about this, or and, and it's not what the government's proposing, or I really feel strongly about this, and I've listened to people, I've consulted with people, and I still feel strongly about this. So I'm going to vote. I want to vote differently than my party on this issue. If the House functioned better, I wouldn't mind seeing the Senate not be there. But I don't think the House is functioning that way now, and I think it hasn't for, for, some, for some time. So, you know, on the ball, and I used to, I mean, I used to, I think anyways, my memory is such that I, I think I used to be someone who was in favor of abolishing the Senate, the, the, the Senate as well. Um, so I guess I answered the question about abolishing it. I mean, I can see it. Uh, I can see the, the reasoning behind it. And I can agree with the end result, but for me, other things have to happen. You know, there are other pieces of that puzzle. So if you said to me now, are you in favor of abolishing the Senate? 
given the way the House of Commons operates now, no, not not at all. You know, I I, I, w I wouldn't be at all. But if we had genuine reform in the House and party discipline could still be still would be important, but not as important as it is now, that might change my mind on that on on that on that one. Um, the, at the point about not trusting democracy, that's a great one too, uh, because one of the things on my website that I actually got a, I actually got in, uh, got a response out of uh, Colby Kosh, who writes for Maclean's now, I guess, or an editor for Maclean's, um, was that there are other parts about there are parts about this whole election that speak to that division you talk about between the masses and the elites. Okay. Now I had to I had to submit a check for four thousand dollars in order to run in the election. Now I think that's a direct reference to the four thousand dollar property requirement that's part of the Constitution Act of 1867, which means that if you don't have four thousand dollars in property, we're talking land here. If you don't, if you're not a landed interest, you can't sit in the Senate. Um, and also, I, I also went on to say that. There's another another qualification for sitting in the Senate that is, you know, again from the 19th century, you got to be at least 30 years old. Now, you know, like maybe age. You know, this is an older crowd here tonight, with one exception. Um, uh, but you know, maybe age, maybe wisdom does come with age. But you know, we have a lot of. I, I suggested people like Craig uh, Kielberger. He was the one who set up the Free the Children Foundation. Did all this work globally on behalf of children in poverty. He's only 29. I mean, he couldn't run in this election here in Alberta. So the, 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 you know, when you talk about sort of the institution as, as originally being founded with a sort of distrust of democracy, and you're right, you're absolutely right about that. And, and that's why I think that if we're going to go this, it is sort of time to choose that if we want to go a democratic road with the Senate, like we're in for the full deal. I mean, we we can't just sort of pick and choose. Oh yeah, I, I like that. So I, I like the age, though. I mean, let, you know, let's keep it so that people can vote for senators, but they can't be a senator. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it does, I mean, there's there is a lot about the qualifications that don't make sense to me that I think are just bizarre. Uh, and uh, um, so, if we're in, if we do want to have a second chamber. And if we do, say, want to model it something along the lines of, say, the U.S. Senate, which is part of the Triple E idea, I think, is that you know the, the notion of equality of provinces, like equality of states in in in, in the U.S. in the in the U.S. Senate, then um, uh, I mean, if we, if we if we want to go in that direction, then there are, you know, there's certain, there are lots of other changes that have to that have to be made. I mean, if we're if we're going to abolish it, then you know we. we you know, then, then that takes then that takes care of it. But if we keep it, I think there are lots of other things that have to be done in terms of making it. You know, in, in terms of make like this process in Alberta. Um, uh, here's the here's the it's all about me voice. Um, damn it, you know who cares about the provincial election? There's a Senate nominee election going on, and I'm running in it, so pay attention to me. But of course, people aren't because we have a very competitive provincial election going on now. And this is, this is important work. And Canadians are going to pay at least $132,000 a year to whoever ultimately goes to Ottawa to sit in the Senate on behalf of Alberta. 
And I think we should know something about what these people like me stand for. And so far in the debate, in part because of the, in part because of the provincial campaign, and in part because, um, I guess this is partisan, uh, in part because of the fact that the three Wild Rose candidates aren't saying anything at all about national politics whatsoever. Uh, we don't know where they stand on national issues. So that would really great. I think I mentioned this to Blaine before. That would really stick in my craw at the end of the day. One of those three are among the three, you know, the three, the top three. Because as I say, they've said they've said nothing about national political issues at all throughout the whole campaign. Um, okay, so that so and, and provincial premiers. Um, it, it, it boils down here to what we think the Senate should be, and it also ties, but and it ties it to your your last point about Alberta and 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 Canada. Um, I think I think you're right that when it comes to being a, a, a check in the federal provincial dynamic, that the premiers have come to play that role and play it effect and 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 have played it effectively and will continue to play it effectively. So I mean I think you know. Um, people like Harold and I will talk about executive federalism and so the notion that the political executives from provincial and federal levels you know get together and and uh, um, uh, talk about issues like health care etc et so I do think I do think premiers have stood up well for provincial interests so I would rather see and, and this sort of separates me from some of the other people who talk about Senate reform I, if we're going to have a Senate, I would like to see it. I, w I would like to see us think about it less along the lines of provincial equality that we're talking about now. I like, sort of a different kind of check and balance. A check and balance against what? Like when you talk about premiers and the national government, you're talking about federal and provincial check and balance here. In a way, the way I see parliamentary politics right now, I see the Senate as a check on the Commons that we that we need but we can't have because it's not elected. You know, so there, there's, there's that aspect to it. And the firewall question, um, you're right about, I mean, again, I agree with you about um, there's, uh, um, I guess what I'm concerned, I got a question today, I phoned a, a, a small Edmonton area, the Fort Saskatchewan paper, and I, I phoned them and, uh, and the, the person on the phone asked me, in part, they said, well, when it comes, how would you represent Albertans in the Senate? And I said, well, um, I mean, certainly if, if down the road we have, or in the future we had um, the federal government try to, you know, grab resource wealth that didn't belong to Ottawa under the Constitution and tried something like that. Well, I would stand up for Alberta in that context. But I went on to point out to him that I think that there's a, again, we can sort of get drawn into this way of thinking where by definition, Alberta's interests are opposed to other interests in Canada or the interests of Albertans are opposed to the interests of other Canadians. And so, you know, like, so one example I used in talking, two examples I used. One was, one of the things I'm talking about in terms of um, policy ideas is the notion that, you know, what, what can the federal government do to help empower municipalities to deal with many of the issues that often senior levels of government effectively, you know, delegate down to them without resources to deal with the issues. 
Um, some of the places I've been to, like immigration services, have come up a number of times in places I've been to. And I, th I think that's a serious. I think that's a serious. I think that's a serious issue. But it's just as serious an issue. So, if I want to speak up on that issue, I'm not speaking up just for Edmonton or Calgary or Lethbridge or Brooks. That's an issue that matters to all cities in Canada. You know, and so I think that there's there, you know. But if 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 you let yourself get sucked into the mindset that the only thing senators do is stand up for the province, then you're not even going to think about it that way, or you're not encouraged to think about it that way. You're not encouraged to see that the the reality, to me, anyways, that you can be speaking up for the interests of some Albertans. And also being, and at the same time, be speaking and advancing the interests of other Canadians as well. Uh, and the other example from that was uh, again in work I've done on the oil sands. I interviewed one time uh, Eric Newell, who was the CEO for Syncrude, uh, for Syncrude Canada, and we were talking about the the, the 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 National Oil Sands Task Force in the 1990s that really sort of set the stage for the boom that we that that we've had in Alberta. And one of the things Mr. Newell said was that what was so important to him in selling the idea to the federal government, and the federal government made some important, not as significant changes as the royalty ones in Alberta, but important tax changes to help that development along. One of the things that, that, uh, that, that Mr. Newell said was that he went to, he had this binder with him, and he went to MPs in Ontario with it. And he went to their offices and he said, look, um, this is what, this is how much manufacturing business you get here because of oil and gas in Alberta. And he, he said, you know, the pots and pans, which he was calling, he used the phrase he used for the equipment, that wasn't being built in Alberta, that was being built in Ontario. And so again, you know, that's sort of this idea that we often think of energy, again, in sort of this sort of like zero-sum, Ontario gets it, we don't. We get it; they don't. And in fact, there are important complementarities between the between the two between the two economies. So you know, the fire, firewall is a bad idea, and and it blinds us. That sort of rhetoric blinds us to the fact that we have a lot of complementary and common interests with other Canadians. And you know, that's what we should be trying to do in national political institutions: is is identify and build on those on those on those uh, common interests and positions. Thanks. My name is uh, I'm just curious, uh, Stephen Hoffman, he had a man on the notice that he was going to be reforming the Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any ideas where he's going with that now that it works for him rather than against him? Yeah. And the other question is, uh, do you see any chance of reform in the parliament yeah. unless we have uh, election reform, for example, proportional representation and coalition governments? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the last question first, maybe. No, I don't see, you know, I, I don't see right now, unless the, pub, unless the public mobilizes behind parties that take the position that, that this is electoral reform that we're going to stand for and we will push for in the House. I think unless we see that, 
then no. I mean, the, the prospects of, of electoral reform, and, and Harold's, Harold's a real expert on this. I mean, he should, he should answer this. He should answer this, this question, too. Um, I don't think those prospects are good. And I think, you know, what, what, what is certainly the case um, with, uh, with Prime Minister Harper and the Conservatives under his leadership is that uh, the notion of loosening control is just not is just not on. I mean, that's that's another language that they just don't understand and don't want to understand. Uh, because I do think that notion of very tight. I I I hope this isn't. You know, I mean, I, I think this is this is a fairly common observation about how the Harper Conservative Party has been run, and that is in in a very. Um, in a very militaristic sort of sort of way, you know what the commander in chief says goes, and there isn't a lot of delegated authority there, and so it is a very you know so power is concentrated in, in the center, and if it's there by design, which it is, then the notion of reforming parliamentary institutions to go against that, I just don't I just don't think is um, I just don't think is on. Um, you know, with respect to reforming the Senate, I, I like to think that, in part anyways, they never expected that somebody like me would run for Senate. You know, I mean, I, I, when, when you look at the list, when you look at the list of, 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 of candidates um, who are running, I mean, so half of the candidates are um, either Wild Rose or Harper or or uh, it's maybe unfair to characterize all the progressive conservative candidates as being Harper conservatives, but Doug Black, for example, has made it really clear that if he's, if he's selected, he'll sit as a Harper conservative. He's said as much on television one night. But, and then you have Paul Frank, who's an independent conservative uh, running out of Calgary, and I think that's what they expected would be that all the candidates running would probably be center-right candidates and that people in the center or center-left, uh, Sheila Pratt of the Journal characterized me as center-left. I guess that's what I am, although I've been known to support some, some views that don't fit that particular characterization of me. But, you know, so anyways, the, the, point, the point being that I think they expected when they approached this whole Senate issue as uh, perhaps as being one that... Uh, um, non-conservatives just weren't going to participate in. So it was a slam dunk deal that you would, that, you know, that, that people who were their ideological soulmates would win these campaigns by definition. So, you know, so I, I don't think the reform, I mean, the, the reform, the, there are problems with the legislation. I don't like the legislation. Um, in, in, in several respects, um, I hope that they will do much more to have a more thorough going. If we're going to have a Senate, it should be really democratic. It shouldn't be, you know, so the archaic points that I identified, I think those should go. Um, under the current legislation, they're talking about one nine-year term. So, so anyone who is nominated and then appointed will go away to Ottawa for nine years. So I could go away to Ottawa looking like this back at the people of Alberta. I, I don't have to be accountable to you at all because I never have to stand for election again. If I want to be like that senator in Mexico, I could be that. 
you know, I mean, you know, as, as long as I satisfy, you know, sit, sit, sitting requirements in the, in, in the Senate, you know, there's no accountability in the reform is the point I'm trying to make. So, you know, so I've said, I think if, if the notion of term limits, you know, there's some positive aspects about them, but there are also some negative aspects about them. So, I mean, the positive ones are maybe we don't want career politicians. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so that, 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 that might be a positive. On the negative side of things, some of the things that I think have made the U.S. Senate as effective and U.S. senators as effective as they sometimes have been is the fact that they have built up years and years and years and years of experience in government. So, you know, I, I think back to people like Sam Nunn, who was on the, uh, the Senate Defense Committee, who probably knew as much about defense policy as anybody in the United States did. And he had that expertise because he had served for, you know, more than, a few, more than two terms in the, in, in, in the U.S. Senate. So there's that downside, too. I, I, th I think that if it's going to be an elected body, you can't, uh, you can't have... Um, uh, the nine-year term is not a good idea. There should be some sort of accountability built into it. Maybe you could get it in other ways, I don't know, other than election. But I, it, So critics who look at what the Harper government's doing is sort of saying this is just sort of a... You know, this is sort of a halfway measure. They're right. I mean, it, it isn't. It isn't a thoroughgoing reform. It isn't. I don't think it's a really well thought out reform, too. You know, people. Some of the others, or some some people, have been hiding. I think hiding behind the idea that, well, you know, this is this is supposed to be nonpartisan. It's supposed to be sober second thought. Well, that's true, but. The Senate is, I mean, it's a less partisan institution than the House, especially with respect to its committees. But when they're recorded votes, you can be darn sure that the conservatives are voting conservative and liberals are voting liberal for the most part. There's a, the odd exception to that. You know, but at the end of the day, that's how, that's, that's how that has, that's how, that has been how it has run. So, um, you know, the, the sort of reforms that have been proposed are really, you know, they're not thoroughgoing. I don't think they're as well thought out as they should be. And, you know, what I hope actually, this is, you know, there's part of me that's a bit of a subversive. It's that little devil voice in my head, okay? And I think it would be so cool to be able to go to the Senate and sort of represent, and, may, and maybe just get a few people afraid so that they would actually take reforming the House of Commons seriously. My God, you know, we get a few more Urquharts in there. We have a few more independents. We could have gridlock. I mean, they might actually say, because we're elected, we can stand up and, and, and speak on behalf of our people and oppose the House of Commons. And, and this is sort of, this is the fear that people put out there. But if it's a fear that gets people thinking seriously about change, whether it's electoral reform or whether it's parliamentary reform with respect to how the House of Commons operates, that's great. I think we need some of that. And that's why I say it's sort of a, it's, it's a wonderfully subversive idea for me. You go to, as, as, as Blaine points out, you go to the, the institution that's set up to, to protect property and elites, and you go there to mess with the system and try to change it. It's sort of like a wonderfully perverse, sort of twisted, subversive idea. I like it. Thanks. Any other questions?
Don't have to. You could be nice. You could be nice. Harold's being nice. You could be nice too. Take me to task on this, Harold. No, seriously. No, I mean, really do it. I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, what do you think about this? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. My name is Victor. And going back to your point on the environment, mm-hmm. um, when I posed a question to the head of the CCAP last year mm-hmm. as to would the oil and gas companies consider being the champions in a shift to renewable because they have a capital structure to do so. Yeah. And the answer was, very honestly, they're good at oil and gas. Yeah. Talking to a former VP executive who said you bring in a bunch of shareholders into a room mm-hmm. and you suggest alternatives and they're going to say, we want oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to, and I agree with you that yeah. the, the oil and gas industry is important to eventually make a shift, mm-hmm. but there is no ownership in renewables the same way that there is with oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And since we still have a business system that is set up to, and actually has to, uh, increase the, the wealth of shareholders right. because we don't have to increase the wealth of stakeholders. Yeah. How would you propose that you bring on shareholders in mm-hmm. this archaic system we're still working with in that economic model that doesn't work anymore right. and move them into and have them buy in when they're checking into the day is based on oil and gas, yeah. something quantifiable rather than the standard wind which nobody owns. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, so the, the one possible answer, and this might be way too simplistic, uh, Deb, and, or simple-minded would be a better way to put it maybe, it would be just to sort of say, um, on the one hand, oil and gas and the continued operation of that sector is important in terms of generating the wealth that is used to, to what? Uh, to finance research and development through some sort of, some sort of authority. Um, to offer incentives to individuals to purchase to, pr- to purchase equipment, but it's where that equipment is made, I think that's sort of the issue, becomes the issue. So I guess what I'm trying to say with that is in a sense, I appreciate how it's difficult for oil and gas to buy into, um, uh, so BP then is, you know, it's not beyond petroleum. It is British petroleum, okay? I mean, the, you know, they've got, mind you, BP has had a few things go a little bit wrong, I think. Anyways, um, that, uh, okay, what am I trying to say here? I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that is that maybe as on something like this, we we say, you know, you're good at oil and gas. We're, we're not trying to shut you down. We're not trying to say you can't do oil and gas anymore. What we're trying to say is that we're looking for, uh, we're looking to try to stimulate other sectors in the economy. If you don't think you can be part of that, that's fine. Maybe we'll be talking to Siemens and seeing what Siemens, if they have any interest in this, or maybe you know. So may, maybe it's like that. I mean, maybe so. It, it, if, if the premise is that oil and gas has to be doing renewables, maybe we don't have to accept that premise. You know, so instead, we use oil and gas wealth to stimulate another, you know, sort of another sector in the economy that they may or may not have anything to do with. Is that? What do you think about that? I mean, 
Yeah. Well, I know they are all coming on board in small institutions. Very risk at first. Yes. And so to take these chances, they're going to watch the juniors do it. Then they're going to buy up the juniors if there is money to be made in the juniors. Yeah. And so how do we maybe incentivize to the juniors to to grow and maybe have a bigger yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, and, and you know, and I, uh, maybe I've been too uh, ready to admit this uh, sort of throughout this, and, and that is um, it's a good question, and I'm not sure really what the answer is. It's just sort of something that I think we have to think more, you know, more about. I, I think it's sort of the the logic for me of the progression is sort of intuitively appealing and I think makes some sense. But in terms of what, like, would you want to get into joint ventures? Would you want to, uh, would you want venture, would you want the state supplying venture capital to, to, to companies? And, you know, and those, those sorts of options I really don't know. I, I don't have the expertise to really sort of, to, to really say that, but I think those are those would be the sorts of range of things that if you that if you took this idea seriously, then you'd have to sort of say, all right, um, how do we like you talked earlier about when we were at the coffee shop? You talked earlier about sort of that sort of holistic system sort of view, and you know that might be something that you have to do with an idea like this. Where would it fit in that bigger that bigger picture? Yeah, thanks.
feasibly be the silicon valley of renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And with that spin-offs, manufacturing, jobs, you know, a green economy. So, um, I, you know, <coughs> it's not going to go away over the oil and gas industry, not a chance. But the sooner we start, the better. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to take strong stance on this. And part of it, what I think about is, um, in Sweden, they've got an award called the Right for Livelihood Award. Well, it, it's a tenet that I think we should think about more and embrace more, that we never engage in an occupation that brings harm to ourselves, another, another human being, or another life form. And this industry, is in my article of killing our planet because that's how I see it. Sure. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm going to I'm going to comment, and I'm also going to use it uh, to be a bit self-serving too, Irina. To be to be honest, but like with, you see, with, with respect to the notion, of, first of all, I mean, I mean, you're not alone by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to like what do different parliamentary institutions do? I mean, one of the th you know one of the things about this this process has been just how little most of us know about you know about these institutions and, and, and what and what they and what they do with respect to climate change and and the um, and uh, you know the crisis that that, that it presents um, I agree I mean I think this is I, I take it seriously I think this is I think this is I think it's going to be really hard even at this point in time to take the measures that are going to be needed to adapt to it. We're lucky, we're rich. Countries that are poor are going to have a, a very difficult time in dealing with in dealing with it. But I think, but but I don't think that necessarily means so. I think okay. So let's say I make you queen. Rena is now the queen of Alberta, and Rena gets to decide what we're going to do tomorrow with respect to climate change and addressing it. So. Someone talks to you and says, "Rena, we're going to go after oil and gas. Okay, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna cut back on. Uh, uh, well, we're not going to sell any more leases. We're going to buy back leases that we've already issued in this sort of business, and, and we're going to increase the taxes. We're going to force them out. You know, we're either going to milk them or we're force them out or both. Okay, I would say what I would say to that would be, hang on for just a minute." Now, if we're interested in climate change, and we know that coal is the most serious, you know, is, is, is the worst when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, then let's make that our first, let's make that our first objective, okay? So let's focus on that sector while we try to use what petroleum can provide us with in terms of resources to move in a, to move in that new direction to, to move it to move in that different direction because the beauty you know the beauty of the situation we are in here as I said earlier on is that you know like nearly half of the nearly half of the electricity in Alberta is generated by coal I thought it was uh, you know, here, here's a great irony like who in Alberta what, what sense would it make in Alberta to buy an electric car that you plugged in at night because 
the electricity that's going into that car is probably coming from coal that's being burned and increasing greenhouse gas emissions. It's just totally twisted. It's just crazy. Um, so I guess what I would say to you would be, you know, my queen, you know, I pledge allegiance to you. Um, but what I, what I would encourage you to, what I think we should do to keep the people in the realm on side on this, we don't want any rebellions and revolutions taking place. Good, good Lord, no, you being queen is enough for now. And so what we want to do instead is, 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 is focus on the worst. You know, focus on the worst greenhouse gas emitters. And try to use, and try to use the wealth from petroleum and the people who are earning very good livelihoods in those industries as a way to move into that, to, you know, to move away from it all, to move into it in, you know, in electricity in greater, in, in, to a greater degree. Um, and I, I think that the, the problem, and this is sort of raised in Deb's question, that remains is, is I think, the sort of commercializing. You know, how do you commercialize the technology and where do you go and who does it? And I, I think that, that, that would be a big challenge in this. Like with the New Democrats, for example, with the Renewable Energy Center. Um, so who's going to own the patents for what's developed? And what are the people of Alberta going to get for the money that they put into it? And those sorts of things I think are really important. How I wanted to use the question selfishly, though, was to say that you know, this is an example, I think. I think the NDP proposal is an example of a good idea. Like I don't think it's a. I, I don't think it's a. Um, I would encourage. I mean, if people can use, we did a. Uh, uh, I have my own network, my own uh, video network now, the Ian Urquhart for Senate video network, and they made me do one on renewable energy. And I talked about Aostra as sort of a, you know, let's create a crown corporation that essentially invests in research and development. Sounds socialist. Well, it was if Peter Lougheed was a socialist. Because that's essentially what he did, and I think that you know, the same sort of logic, to my mind, anyways, applies to the NDP uh, notion of a renewable energy center. I just think it's a, it's, it, it's not a partisan idea; it just makes sense. Um, and so, I mean, here in some people's eyes, I, I now I'm about to commit a heresy when I say that you know, there's there's a part of the Wild Rose platform on energy that I think makes a lot of sense too. And that is their proposal that we build a west-east pipeline in Canada. Like in a sense, it goes to when Blaine's talking about firewalls and and you know maybe not thinking enough as Canadians. TransCanada has a proposal to extend their pipeline network east from Montreal into the Maritimes, which would replace crude that comes from either Venezuela or the Mideast with crude from Alberta. And I think that's, I think as long as we have petroleum that, and we're going to use it, and if we're going to use it for transportation where it's so crucial, then that's a, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, you don't have unsettled native land claims in BC that you've got to worry about. You, you know, it just takes so many issues off the table. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think you, you I, I don't disagree with respect to, uh, you know, the, the importance of climate change. Uh, I guess I would like to try to see a way that, that we could address it by going after the sectors that are the absolute worst from that point of view and then see where that takes us.
Hi, Trevor. I'd like to lead you on from what you've just said into a national energy policy. Okay. Yeah. The lack of a national yeah. energy policy. Yeah. How it's possible for Canada to do anything serious on climate change that is not even the national energy policy. Yeah. I don't know if you saw Jeffrey Simpson's piece in, in this morning's globe. No, I didn't. Uh, well, he basically says that with the Latin reserves and shale gas and what have you, the U.S. could be self-sufficient and even an oil exporter in, 30, in 15 years. Um, I mean, there are major, major changes going on. And is, if you could sort of talk around the national energy policy and how, it's a, how a country is able to do anything cohesive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I hope I hope this will go some some distance in in, in that way, Trevor. Um, um, yeah, the years ago now for the Parkland, I think it was 2003 or 2004. I wrote a I wrote a piece for Parkland in Edmonton about about Kyoto, and uh, one of the conclusions that I that I pushed in the paper was, you know, we need what Canada needs is a is a new is a is a new NEP, and um, I didn't mean a national energy. I mean, so I didn't mean you know the that the hated NEP of the Trudeau years. I meant a national electricity policy, and and you know the idea here was again sort of thinking east west instead of north south, and so if if the people of Manitoba decide that they want to develop the hydro resources on the on the Nelson River, then we should be looking, especially a coal-producing province like or coal-burning province like Alberta. The federal government should be thinking of ways in which it can encourage the interprovincial transmission of electricity, as opposed to you know the situation now. Where you know where landowners in Alberta are concerned about transmission lines, they're not concerned about transmission lines that are running from. They would be concerned anyways, I guess. But but the point is that the transmission lines that 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 agricultural interests and farmers and ranchers in Alberta are concerned about are pipelines that are pardon, not pipelines, transmission lines that are going from here to the U.S. Now, they're not going to Saskatchewan, or they're not going to British Columbia. So, I, and so I, I think that the notion of a national energy strategy is an important one, and it's one that, but it's also one that has to be fleshed out a lot more than what we've seen so far. And I think all we've seen so far, like when Premier Redford talks about it, or when Prime Minister Harper talks about it, it's primarily discussed in the context of oil and gas only. Okay. And for my money, too much of the of the national talk is 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 focused again on the notion of diversifying export markets, as opposed to again thinking of how we link Canadians together with these resources. And you know, I mean, this you know, the nation building and uh, um, is, it was an important you know the the settlement of the West, the construction of the railway. The hated national policy, so we won't talk about the national policy. But these were all policies that were designed to build a nation. And I think a national energy strategy now would also be something that, again, can increase ties between Canadians and develop common common interests and shared interests. So, I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. I think the initiative is a, is an important one. Um, I think, though, that sort of that where some people are sitting now 
is determining where they see themselves sitting in the future. So again, it's sort of this notion, it's driven largely by oil and gas, and it's driven too much by the sort of the notion of diversifying export markets as opposed to thinking about serving other Canadians with, with it, you know. So, um, and, and, you know, and the other point is, and this goes to this sort of notion of, you know, we just can't, again, in all of this, it's the notion of predicting the future. You know, and just how uncertain it is. Like, like, I don't blame the, if I was working for Imperial Oil back in 2004, I think I would have recommended exactly what they did with respect to McKenzie Gas. You know, that it looked like prices were, prices, you know, you look at, you look at any, you look at the Energy Information Administration in the U.S., you look at their data on natural gas prices. Looked good. I mean, it looked like prices were on the rise. People were talking about shortages. This is great. Let's bring let's bring Arctic gas down. But the world changed, and for the very reasons that you point out. I mean, shale gas, and then now LNG imports to the U.S. I mean, that's going to be another source of, ga of gas. And that whole I don't know whether they'll ever get to the notion of being an exporter. But it certainly has changed the dynamics of the natural gas industry tremendously. And, and you know, I, I don't know who saw it coming. I, I, think, I think the one thing I've learned from studying oil and gas is you're a fool if you try to predict where it's going because you just often more people are wrong than right when it comes to, when it comes to that. At least looking at the, his, the history I've looked at, that sort of says it in spades. So I hope that answers it some, some of what you're asking. <laughs> no? No? Yeah. I mean, we're bumbling along. Yeah, yeah. And we don't see a way out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, um, but so for you then, I mean, what, what would you like, I mean, in terms of a way out, what, okay, but what would it be? Right, okay, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, how can we do anything as a country? Yeah, that in a way is sort of what I'm trying to say, though, too. I mean, I think that, that well, maybe I'm approaching it a bit differently than, 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 than you are, because I'm also seeing this national strategy as something that helps build the country. Like, I'm sort of viewing it through, like, a nation-building lens, you know, a, as well. Um, but it's about time. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're not 15 years old now. No, right? I wish we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, no I, I, you're, you're right. Professor Jansen. Uh, Carol Jansen, for those of you who are here, don't know me. And Yancey Parker, a professor of mine, is saying it's been great to see you again. Yeah, and so, uh, now, so yeah. now you get to stick it to me, is that what? <laughs> Payback. Payback, yeah. You know, since you asked me, you should have never been asked. Yeah. Hard question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess well, no, not that you say. I didn't say, hey, be careful there. I didn't say these weren't hard well, questions. Well, I'll take you back to the, to the email I sent you after I after I got into running for Senate. Right. Well, you're making my life miserable because I've had many opportunities to vote for the Senate. I've always either declined it much or spoiled it, saying, what you yeah. uh, just said in response to Kate's uh, question about this is a half-baked kind yeah. of Senate reform. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, the problem is that you have to convince me to vote for the candidate. I know you would like you, but I don't think you're a great guy. Yeah. Um, and I would say that you don't care. Um, but convince me why I should legitimate the process yeah. that I think is fundamentally flawed. So that's yeah. part one and part two. I guess I, I really, I mean, I was 
have been impressed by what you were saying about wanting to change some of the culture of Ottawa, but I still take you back to something I learned in a graduate seminar on public policy at the University of Alberta about the power of institutions and processes and how, how much one person can really make a difference. And I mean, you, you said the work of Wayne McCoy, and I'm struck you're sitting as someone who teaches Canadian politics at the University of Lethbridge. How little I, I barely remember that Wayne McCoy's in the Senate. Right. But yeah, I know. I know. She does not. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, 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 absolutely. And, and that's, you know, and, and, and those views, those views are ones that, that, I've, uh, that I've shared and, and that I've had. And, you know, they still, they still run around in my head on, on, on this. And so the first one, the notion of legitimating a process that's fundamentally flawed, and I, you're right, it, is, it isn't perfect. Uh, it isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I, I guess I've gotten to a point now where I'm afraid I'm not going to be alive when the process is perfect. And so, in a, so for me, the it's it's a notion of of uh, if I'm if I'm opposing. You know, when I said at the outset that um, you know what's been happening with with environment really bugs me. And what's being happening in terms of hyperpartisanship really bugs me. And the fact that people are not encouraging us to see economy and environment as complementary, that really bugs me. Then it's then I'm at the point now where even flawed processes are ones I want to take advantage of to try to get people to see that, you know, to see that there are real pro that there are problems, but also that there are ways of thinking about them too. But you're right, you know, at the end of the day, and this I think goes back to the notion of how, how uh, the process being flawed and legitimizing it, you know, and, and that's the real risk, uh, that is a real risk here, and, and you know, if I was a betting person, I'm not sure, anyways, I won't complete the end of that sentence. But, but um, uh, the, the real concern I have with this is that people who haven't participated in the process may win. And that makes it even worse. I mean, that makes the, a flawed process even, you know, so the process is flawed, and those who don't participate win. Well, I mean, what could suck more than that? I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's just terrible. And so, uh, but, but I do say, you know, and I do, I mean, things of, uh, you know, this isn't going to be like a personal uh, growth uh, 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 and how much I've grown as a person or morphed as a person in the last year, but it just got to the point where it just seemed that it was the right time in my life to do something like this, you know. So I took advantage of the fact that this process is here and I thought I'd try to use it um, to shout out in a way. Um, and the notion of one person making a difference, again, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I... Uh, I I might have been in that class that you're talking about uh, in, in one capacity or another, that public policy class. And, 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 and you're right. I mean, I'm someone who knows that. And we were talking, we were talking earlier about a, a piece that we both think is, 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 is a great piece of political science. And it's short, brief, written clearly. You don't have to be a member of the, of the cult in order to understand what the author's talking about. And what that piece essentially says is something like this. Because we live in and work in a capitalist economy, 
that business by definition has certain power that other players don't have because it's needed for that economy to function. So, I mean, Howard, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's sort of, you know, there are important institutional structural constraints to doing, you know, to doing anything like this. And, yeah, and they're probably going to, and they're probably going to, yeah, and then they will, given what I've taught, I mean, they will, they'll, they'll probably win the day, you know. But I guess I just think now, again, and this is sort of like where I'm at, sort of uh, in my head these days. I just think that if, you know, we need, I love this expression that Ralph Nader has. Um, if you're not turned on to politics, politics will turn on you. And I think that's sort of where I'm at right now. And so even though I realize that one person, I'm not going to change. I mean, I don't, first of all, I don't have the sort of, I don't think I have the sort of ego it would be required to think that I could actually change the world dramatically. I can't. But I just think it's time to object to things you don't like. And this is a good opportunity to do that. So that's why. Hi, Ian. My name is Kim Sieber. Oh, hi, Kim. Hi. Nice, nice to meet you. Same here. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd just like to apologize to those that have me. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. So I hope my question hasn't already been. No. Um, but like Harold, this is the first time that I'm really engaged with the Senate. Right. Election goes out. Right. Um, and part of the reason, part of the reason was that uh, I saw a, a sign of Len Rocco's right. as I was driving along. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, yeah, he had a Twitter account, and kind of prolific on Twitter. Right. So I thought, I'll check it out. And so I got involved with uh, with the content on his website. I realized that he was running as an independent, and that really intrigued me yeah. because it seems to me that the sentence is too partisan. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it, is, it is a partisan institution. It's less partisan than the House of Commons, but when push comes to shove, if there's a need for a recorded vote in the Senate, the, the government leader in the Senate will use her whip in this case. It, uh, it's, um, I've forgotten the name of uh, the, the government leader in the Senate. But anyways, yes, Marjorie LeBaron, that's right. Um, uh, she will use she will uh, use the whip to uh, ensure that uh, to the best she can that conservatives will vote conserv with 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 the party on on questions. So I mean it, it still is a it, it still is a partisan institution less less partisan than the House. I, for me, Kim, I mean the 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 uh, the uh, so it is that extension of Parliament that you that that you that you talk about now. I think because it's an unelected institution, uh, that's essentially the way it should be. Okay, that it should be an extent as an unelected institution, as an appointed institution. That is sort of the way it should be. Um, what I mean by that is, if you go back to and and, and Blaine uh, Blaine Thacker mentioned this before the um, before we started tonight. He talked about. Uh, Oh, think back to free trade, for example, and when the Senate you know, was going to block free trade legislation. And 
although I was personally opposed to the legislation, okay, if I was personally opposed to the legislation, I still think it was wrong of the Senate to do that. Because that was a clearly that was another partisan use of the Senate by that in that case by by the liberals and I do think that you know if I'm going to make an argument about democracy and democracy mattering then the notion of appointed people saying ultimately saying no to the House is doesn't sit well if it's an elected institution that's different in my view because then I have a certain legitimacy that comes from even this flawed process that others that others don't have. I think what I tried to say right at the outset tonight, Kim, was that in terms of like the independent idea for me is the notion that comes from this notion that um, partisanship in federal politics has just become so extreme and so hyper that people have lost sight of, people have lost the ability to compromise and reach consensus on, on questions and that reaching consensus and compromise would be something that would serve us all better. So in terms of like why an independent, that's, you know, that, that's really sort of where I'm about. It, it gives me a chance, you know, and it's been great. It's been great to say like there, at least now there have been a few papers at different points in time who have picked up on the partisanship theme. And so they say, you know, this Urquhart talks about hyper-partisanship in the House of Commons and the fact that it's replacing common sense on some issues. And I, you know, getting that idea out there has just been good. A good one, and as an independent, you can do that. And you know, either uh, God grant or God forbid that I go to the Senate someday. I mean, I'm not going to have to toe somebody's party line. And I can, uh, you know, if you're a conservative and got a good idea, and I'm person enough to say you've got a good idea, I can go ahead and do it without worrying about what the whip is going to do to me at the end of the day. I hope that sort of answers it. Thanks. To score in the hockey? Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to say. I'm going to adjourn and give you the score. Seeing nothing further, I'd like to take the opportunity to uh, thank you again for making the time uh, to yeah. be here this evening and uh, certainly to each of you for choosing democracy over hockey. Yes, uh, absolutely. I appreciate that. And, uh, the, the question, of course, was asked is, is uh, why vote for a system or an institution that appears to be flawed or in a process that appears to be flawed? And I guess my response, especially for Ian, would be that if you have the right people in the institutions that are working the system, the system can't change and can't become effective. And I personally believe that Ian is one of those people. We just need 52 more of them out there that <laughs> change the institutions. So, Thank you very much, everybody, for coming, for your attendance. Thank you again for Ian for being here. And yeah. We wish you best of luck. Yeah, time. great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I have little recycled handouts on environmentally friendly papers.